Baseball Central, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It is Ben Ennis alongside Rob Wong in studio. I know, Rob, you've done work here in the studio with human beings. This is my first time. Be gentle. How's it going, buddy? It's I'm, good to see your face. I know. We, we've known each other for a long time, so it's not like we haven't worked together before, but uh, yeah. we physically have not seen each other in almost two years. I guess over two years yep. at this point, right? So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's a lot like different of course you know being with human beings uh, working together after you do all the remote work from home for such a long time but i i've been coming in for about a month now so i've been able to ease my way back into yeah. real human interaction and you've uh, you've had some time to grow that awesome mustache i so have congrats on that yeah it's not even november yet so i'm getting started because <sighs> god knows if i started in november i would probably run out of time before something substantial grew in so i'm getting it early yeah you look great buddy Thanks. uh yes um absence has made the heart grow fonder it is great <laughs> to see you buddy uh it is gonna be great to see the blue jays return home after this road trip and hopefully for them with two games remaining against the lowly washington nationals they can return home with a winning record right now three and four through the first seven games of this thing, although I had somebody correct me on Twitter because one of those doubleheader games against the Angels was a home game. Mm. Does that count as part of the road trip? I'm going to count it yeah. as part of the road trip. Um, okay, split four-game series, it's, it's not an abject failure. Getting swept by the Mariners would have been. Mm-hmm. By the time they went into that third game of the series, they were tied with the M's in the American League wildcard chase. So you lose that game, you actually fall below Seattle they salvage it. They could have easily swept them. It's not like the, the Mariners looked like a juggernaut. Uh, a couple of bullpen implosions in the first two games of that series. Like, where are you on this road trip as a whole right now, Rob? Well, first of all, we got to give you credit, right? Because you've been doing the uh, must-win games, the trademark. Thank what you. are you now, four and one? Yes. So you've got the magic touch. Uh, yeah. When the Blue Jays need a clutch victory, they, they're just waiting for well, the Ben Ennis tweet, and, and then they come through. And the key to that, because I, I saw a lot of people in my in my mentions on Twitter talking about utilizing that more the the effectiveness and the luster of it wears off significantly with the more it's used but yes it has been effective so far yeah it's like Raphael Delis you got to know when to use them because <laughs> if you use them too much you're going to get burned so you try to pick your spots with that but I, I look I'm with you they had to win that game yesterday because getting swept by the Mariners would have just been absolutely terrible of course we saw what happened on Saturday night with the loss there where they had the lead you lose George Springer in that game just emotionally I mean it's just been such a tough little stretch here after the emotional upswing from what we saw at Rogers Center but I've been saying this all season long and every time we seem to count this team out and say okay this is where it just completely craters and they're going to fall off they always find a way to bring you back in Mm -hmm. and you would have thought after that game on saturday it was like they've got all the reason in the world they're starting steven matz they're in the final game of the series they just lost george springer they might just roll over and lose this game but they came out and beat a pitcher and logan gilbert is pretty strong this year a a young rookie but without george springer doing that steven matz pitched uh, really strong in that game as well and they come away with a victory and here they are. They have a chance to win these two games in Washington and come away with a five and four road trip. So, I mean, all things being considered, they're not in a terrible spot. I just think you looked at the Angels and the Mariners and not that they're bad teams, but they're not good teams either. No. So to, you know, go three and four in that stretch is disappointing, but it could have been a lot worse had they lost. Yesterday. Uh, you know who's bad? Uh, the Washington Nationals. You know who yeah. else is bad? The Baltimore Orioles. And they have 12 games remaining against those teams. They they still have six against the Tigers, who are not an abject disaster, and seven against the Minnesota Twins. Again, not as 
playing as poorly as they were earlier this season, but not exactly juggernauts either. And that's, I mean, if they're going to get into the playoffs, have 90-plus wins, it's going to be about taking care of business against uh, those teams. So, yeah, two against the Nats, two off days this week, which allows George Springer a little time to recover. And I imagine if ever there was a team against which you'd feel comfortable removing the two-time American League Player of the Week, it would be those games. You know, I found it curious, Rob, that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. didn't play yesterday, who, like, since the start of June, has an OPS over 800. Like, he's been Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for that long, since the beginning of June. Got off to a horrific, horrific start, which has just suppressed everything for him. Mm-hmm. Counter to him, Randall Gritchick got off to a good start and has been abominable, like, unplayably bad offensively but obviously the defense is the differentiating differentiating factor between the two one guy can play center field and one guy is getting replaced defensively by teoscar hernandez late in games uh now he can play a little first base which he's done occasionally filling in for vlad jr i i found it interesting that this guy's not being treated more like an everyday player considering the offense has struggled a little bit on this road trip and now with springer out yeah go figure randall gritchick homers yesterday so uh it yeah. looks like a good move putting him into the lineup, but I'm, I'm with you. I mean, Randall Gritchick at this point, when George Springer is healthy, is, is the fourth outfielder on this team. And I think, to be honest, you're only playing him against lefties and as a defensive replacement because I want Corey Dickerson's lefty bat in the lineup. We saw him, you know, hit his first homer as a Blue Jay yesterday. That's what Corey Dickerson does. He yeah. faces right-handed pitching and more often than not, you know, does very productive things where, you know, Randall homer off a righty yesterday and he's got his moments we know it's it's in there but i just think right now when this team is healthy randall is the guy that is uh, the the part-time player because lourdes Gurriel jr has really turned things up you still don't love some of the defensive things out there in left field took a really ill-advised dive in the game on uh, saturday nights uh but the bat has been you know more than worth it uh, for him to play pretty much every day um so I, I think you know lourdes is a guy for me it should get a lot more time down the stretch here and, and randall will fill in when he can when george springer is healthy but not too many teams have a fourth outfielder like Randall Gritchick. No. So as much as we, you know, like to kind of poo-poo on his performance, uh, which has not been great since the beginning of July, he was so hot at the beginning of the season when George Springer was not on this team that he carried them a lot offensively in a lot of big moments. So, you know, this team probably isn't where it is unless Randall Gritchick has done some of the things that he's done in 2021. No, it's a great point. And I think the contract paints a lot of the way we view Randall Gritchick. He was overpaid and he's still overpaid as a fourth outfielder. But to have a guy who can play adequate defense, I think that the metrics actually aren't kind to him in center field. I test would tell you that he's a half decent hey, fine. outfielder yeah. and can run into one occasionally. Yeah, where would they be without him? He's just getting paid a little too much. And if you're playing him every day, you're probably not happy with the results. It's amazing how our perception of Steven Matz has changed the season too, right? Like I remember the the takes out of the gates when he was unbelievable and Sean Reed Foley, I don't think, had been called up yet by the Mets and Sean Reed Foley had a great start for, for New York as well. But that it was an incredible coup that the Blue Jays were able to acquire this guy for essentially nobody. Mm-hmm. And he cooled off significantly. And then it was, oh, yeah, this is the guy who, according to, like, some of the advanced metrics, was the worst starting pitcher in all of baseball a season ago. Like, just was not getting swing and miss. Had horrible movement on his stuff. You know what he's become? Like, one of the best fifth starters in baseball. His ERA is over four. He's been fine. Is he going to explode every once and again? Yeah, that's what you get out of your fifth starter. But I, I I would argue that there's more than a few teams 
in baseball that would take a Steven Matz giving you even the five and dive and the one unearned run yesterday? Yeah, well, I put out the tweet earlier today, and I said, uh, let's play a game of who are they? Pitcher A was Steven Matz, and pitcher B was Taiwan Walker, who a lot of people were clamoring for the Blue Chase to sign. How could you not bring back Taiwan Walker? And it was only, you know, three years and $23 million, you know, $7 million a year for that guy. And the numbers are pretty comparable. And, you know, one guy in Taiwan Walker is pitching in the NL East. I mean, you mentioned it, the Nationals, not very good. The Marlins, one of the worst teams in baseball. And here's Steven Matz, and I know he hasn't pitched every single game against the AL East, but for him to have an ERA, or ERA just a shade over four, it's pretty impressive for a guy who had an ERA close to 10 last year. And yeah. you want to call it the Pete Wager, you know, magical pixie dust, go ahead. But, yeah. I mean, he's kind of reverted back to the guy that we saw um, when he was going well with the Mets a few years ago. And like you said, the return that the Mets got in exchange for Steven Matz with Jensi Diaz and Sean Reed Foley. And I think maybe Josh Winkowski may have been the third guy. Sounds in right. Right. Like these are the guys that they gave up. And Sean Reed Foley, you know, has had some moments with the Mets this year. Uh, but Steven Matz outside of the COVID issue, he's been a, one constant, one of the constants in this rotation um, that, you know, for the most part, when he goes out there, He's going to give you a solid game. It's not going to give you know light up the world from time to time. It'll be you know pretty decent. Um, but just to be able to have a guy that can go out there and you know you feel pretty decent about because he doesn't walk a ton of guys. No. He can strike at a few hitters. Like he's fine as as a fifth starter. And you know I could see him potentially you know being a part of this next year moving forward. Like you know he's just a pretty serviceable player. And you know now having seen him do it here in the NL East because that was or the AL East that was I guess the conversation. He's mm-hmm. pitching in the National League against pitchers and these right. lesser light teams. Can he do it against the Red Sox and the Yankees, uh, the Rays of this division? And, you know, for the most part, he has been able to. So, you know, I think uh, all things being said, like for a guy to do what he's done this year and considering the cost that you paid, I mean, this is an absolute win. Oh, 100%. And it's not dissimilar to the Randall Gritchick conversation where you lose a raw stripling and then the the decision is made for you as far as who's the fifth starter. But to have one of those two guys there to have a Randall Gritchick in your back pocket if a George Springer goes down. Uh, it's a luxury not a lot of teams have. I mentioned the one unearned run. It was a rough first inning for Alejandro Kirk, my boy. <laughs> yeah, He did come through with a, a big double in that game. That's what he's here for, is to rake. I, I wonder, though, if there is, and all I have to do is talk to uh, Buck Martinez or a Joe Siddle, and they'll remind me of how important catcher defense is. Usually that backup catcher, the guy that's playing a couple, three times a week, is the Luke Maley type who's all defense, no bat. I, I, I wonder if you can get by with the opposite. Because for my money, and he hasn't exactly been a lights-out offensive player. He's had his moments, and maybe getting a little more playing time would, would add to the offensive numbers. He's OPSing 765. But it's, to, to, to my, and again, this is coming from someone who's uh, a part of the Alejandros and a, a staunch Alejandro Kirk def, uh, defender, not of the defense, though, but that his defense is good enough. He's not the worst defender I've ever seen. I mean, that pass ball in the first inning might have been crossed up, and uh, one of those wild pitches definitely you can put on him. But I I, I honestly, I'm, I know there's been a lot of debate online, at least, about his warranting of a of a roster spot on this team or or this team needing to go out and get a defense first backup to uh reese mcguire 
But honestly, I, I haven't had a problem with Alejandro Kirk because the offense has just outdone the defense. Honestly, I feel like the conversation, not to the same level because, you know, Bobachet has been a much better offensive player this year than Alejandro Kirk has in, in for his career, of course. But it feels like a lot uh, like the conversation we had at the beginning of the year when Bo was really going through his defensive struggles. Yeah. Routine plays were just eating him up. He's making terrible throws. And everybody was like, can this guy be the long-term shortstop? And eventually that conversation died down because he was able to turn things around in the uh, the defensive side of things, but because he kept raking. And I feel like that's the same conversation that with Alejandro Kirk that you're never going to love the defense. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be subpar. And we saw what happened yesterday in that first inning. That's about as bad as it gets. But if he's a productive hitter, that's what you sign up for. Like, I don't think anyone's thinking he's going to be Russell Martin. No. Um, they want him to be, you know, Russell Martin at his peak with the bat. And if he's doing that, then you've got a pretty good catcher on your hands because you look around Major League Baseball, um, there's very few guys at that position that can uh, do both. And if you can get a guy that can even do one of those things and do it at an above-average clip, you feel pretty happy about it. That being said... I don't know if he's the long-term guy. I don't think we want to put the cart before the horse, but there's a guy down in the minors by the name of Gabriel Moreno, who yeah. a lot of people have pegged as, as the future here. And, you know, even if that is the case where he's not ready next year, I still think you feel pretty good about having a duo of either Alejandro Kirk and Reese McGuire or Alejandro Kirk and, you know, Danny Jansen. Um, catcher, for me, is really the least of the worries mm-hmm. on this team um, because I think you've got enough in the rest of the positions ooh, to make ooh. things up on offense yes, you. Let, let, yeah you calling on me i didn't raise my hand um yes ben ben is. uh let's get to the the most of your concerns okay I, i'm gonna guess it's still the bullpen uh you would be correct in <laughs> in the bullpen that, that's that's uh, right at the top of the list so what's most concerning to you right now because i feel like jordan romano has kind of put the the rough july mostly in his review and and it's not a clean ninth every time but he's had some pretty good outings against the red sox and some pretty high leverage moments Mm -hmm. like jordan romano still throwing 100 okay is the slider moving as much as uh, when he had uh, super glue on his fingers probably not but that's okay you can still get people out i think where i'm i'm at well and trevor richards is a fine guy right he's a guy and he's responsible for that seventh inning blow up in seattle on the saturday he was bad, and he's had a couple of bad moments. This, this is not a guy that's supposed to be your highest leverage reliever. He's the best they could do in the middle of the season a month before the trade deadline. Same with Adam Simber, who has almost found money with what he was giving them against all comers, lefties included. Yeah, It is not going to surprise me in the least, and this is not to, to downplay what Adam Simber is because I think he's a good reliever against right-handers and maybe the occasional lefty uh, if he's forced to face three and, like, you got a, a guy that's not going to hurt you with the solo home run. But for his career, he's been a guy that has not gotten lefties out. They've hit oh, – they've had an OPS over 800. He's been a, a, a side-arming, slop-tossing righty specialist mm-hmm. who gets righties out. And he's succeeded against lefties. Doesn't mean necessarily I think he's going to succeed against lefties going forward. I think the idea of him getting into a high leverage spot against lefties again is is going to be troublesome. And it looks like Tim Mays is coming back, so that's going to help things. Yeah, I think it will for sure. And, and you know, as great as Simber and Richards have been this year, I mean, 
on a good team that has a lot of really good relievers, I mean, those guys are not pitching in the spots that they have been no. for the Blue Jays. They've been doing it out of necessity. And we've been talking all season long on uh, Jays Talk and, I mean, on different shows, the circle of trust, right? Who's Charlie Montoyo's circle of trust with relievers? And it feels like every other day, I mean, it's a new group of three or four relievers. And I still think, you know, Trevor Richards, Adam Simber, Jordan Romano, they're still in there, of course. I mean, I don't think anything's changed there. And when Tim Meza comes back, you know, he will return to that spot. But, you know, the question is, who do you go, you know, beyond those four guys? Because a lot of times, you know, we've seen it when the Blue Jays are winning a game and they're up by three, it's Richards, Simber, Romano to yeah. close out a game and maybe Tim Meza. And, you know, generally more often than not, that takes the guys out of the conversation the next game. And then who do they have to go to at the, that point? It's Brad Hand. It's Raphael Delise, and you're just hoping, can these guys get us through to win this game? So I think, you know, we look at the reinforcements that are potentially on the way. Nate Pearson, I mean, if he can be anything yeah. remotely close to what we believe he can can be in the bullpen, that's just a game changer. I think Julian Merriweather still for me is, uh, we'll see. I mean, if he comes back, it's 50-50 at this point. Um, you know, Thomas Hatch is interesting if he's able to take a spot in that bullpen, but Getting Tim Meza back, Joaquin Soria, and Nate Pearson, I think that'll just help so much. And those guys really can't get back fast enough because, you know, it seems like Meza and Soria are going to be back maybe as early as, I mean, tomorrow yeah. uh, over the next few games here, uh, maybe Nate Pearson over the next couple of weeks. But those guys need to return and uh, need to pitch well because uh, they're running out of time here to to really uh, you know lock down these games, of course. But I think with Pearson, Mesa, Soria, I feel a lot better about the situation than, you know, the way it stands. I don't think I'm, you know, saying anything crazy there. Um, but I think the question is, with all of those guys healthy, where does your hierarchy land after that? Because you said you have questions about Simber against yeah, lefties. For sure. Richards is a guy. Romano's still the constant. Um, I think the only person that has a chance to really surpass him is probably Nate Pearson. I would yeah. love to see Tim Mesa in more high leverage situations. Because yeah. he's basically been Zach Britton yeah. from 2015, 2016 since the beginning of June. So that's that's a guy I would like to see. But beyond that, it's, you know, Richard Simber, Soria, maybe a Brad Hand if he can figure it out. Like you're kind of just throwing those guys in hat and hoping that day that it, it works out for them. I wouldn't sleep on Soria either, yeah. right? Who Who is not the walking Soria who's the best reliever in baseball a decade ago, but still throwing 93, still able to get people out in high leverage situations. I thought he was a great under the radar acquisition by this team. It's, stunk that he had one appearance before hurting his finger but he looks to be on the way back the pearson thing's so super interesting because so many people have put all their eggs yeah. in the pearson the basket included yeah Jeez. i i think so because yeah. that's what you just you need more of hey is romano been perfect no but he misses bats right you need more of that swing and miss stuff at the back end of this bullpen and we were so tantalized by those six outs in that second playoff game against the Rays that everybody just assumes, well, yeah, if you just tell them you're a reliever, you can do that time in and time out. But you get those reports that even in the zone in that second rehab stint with the Bisons that maybe the command wasn't quite there. I, I think Soria is going to factor into this in a significant way. I wonder about Thomas Hatch too, because mm-hmm. I know, you, hey, hey, if Matt's goes down, if you lose another starter, now you're really thin. If Ross Stripling can't come back. Yeah. Um, so Hatch would be your guy. Are you con- convinced that Thomas Hatch can be an effective starter? I mean, he had a, a, cof- a cup of coffee with the one start with the Blue Jays this season. But that was a guy that was like, at times, the star reliever for this team a season ago. I wonder if, I, I know, you want to exhaust every opportunity to to make a starter out of a young pitcher. 
But if you've seen it be successful in the past and it's a need for you and you have like legitimate World Series aspirations, if you could somehow figure out this bullpen, who who's demonstrably a hundred times better than you in the American League? The bullpen is a massive bugaboo. I get it. But if you could figure it out and Thomas Hatch is a part of doing that, I think it's something you have to look at significantly. Yeah, it just makes the bullpen so much deeper if if those guys can come up and uh, play a role. Because, you know, imagine if Adam Simber or Trevor Richards are, you know, your fifth and sixth guys, like in that pen. Like, that's that's the dream, right? But right, right. now they're two and three on most nights. These are the guys that are coming in in the uh, the, the biggest spot. So, yeah, I, I think Thomas Hatch is, is really interesting uh, as well. Where do you think Brad Hand fits in? Because yeah. they've given a couple shots here in leverage, and uh, it went terribly. No. I mean, I it's so hard to come into a spot where the bases are loaded and, you know, you'd come in and you walk the guy in four pitches. And I, I, you know, I kind of went off him on Twitter and I didn't love the decision to be honest with you coming in there. I thought Jordan Romano should have been the guy for me because the game's on the line. So why am I going with arguably the third best option in that spot? Um, But I thought yesterday, that's probably the spot for Brad uh, hand at this point. If I've run game, you bring him in, he gets to just do what he does and, uh, there's a lot of safety net for you. If He's the, lefty Rafi Dolis right now. Yeah, like that's, I, I think, you know, that's for me where I'm, where I'm putting him. Where, what about you? Yeah, no, same same deal. And maybe he works his way back into leverage, but let's not forget that he had blown three of the four saves for the Nats before he arrived right. with the Blue Jays. This is not the Brad Hand who was one of the better relievers in baseball not that long ago. This is a guy that needs to work his way back into leverage, maybe a situational lefty dude. But yeah, they they just need more strikeout stuff at the back end of that bullpen. Unfortunately, the guys that are currently there, they don't have the ability. The two guys that you would imagine have the best ability to do so are injured right now. And if if you're one of those guys that's still going to go down with the Julian Merriweather ship, good for you. Like, I wish I could be as optimistic as you that there's even a glimmer of hope of that guy returning. Uh, and I have no choice but to believe that Nate Pearson is the solve that's going to uh, fix the burn of the Blue Jays' bullpen. Uh, let's take a break. Let's talk to a, a World Series champion. It was a World Series that many Blue Jays fans choose to uh, disregard because it was supposed to be the Blue Jays because they were Vegas odds on favorites to win it in 2013 um, when John Farrell went to the Red Sox and we were all having a chuckle. And then he won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox. Talk to a member of that team. Will Middlebrooks joins us next. It is Baseball Central, Ben Ennis, Rob Wong, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Is Rob Wong, Baseball Central, Sportsnet 590 fan, Blue Jays, three and four to start this nine-game road trip. Day off today, two against the Nats, and then a day off on Thursday before returning home. Uh, Blue Jays 63-54, seven and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays for first in the American League East, and now four and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox and Oakland A's who are tied for that second wild card uh, with just the Yankees, two and a half games back of the wild card between them and a playoff spot. Let's talk to Will Middlebrooks, 2013 World Series champion, CBS HQ baseball analyst and host of the Wake and Rake podcast. How's it going, Will? Hey, guys. What's going on? Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for doing this, man. So 
Yeah, it's amazing how how quickly our perceptions change when we're looking at the standings, especially this time of the year. Uh, but the Blue Jays come up with that huge series victory over the Red Sox at Rogers Center, and it's playoffs, baby. And then they lose two or three to the Seattle Mariners, <laughs> and it's total despondence. Uh, the Yankees look unbeatable because they take a series against the White Sox. Where are you with this division right now? Uh, about the same place that you're at and what you just explained, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's fun to watch. Um, and I think this is what the last month and a half baseball should be. It should be close. It should be a fight to the end. And it's not only for, for the division, it's for the, for the wild card as well. So I, I honestly think Toronto has a, has a decent shot at, at making a run at a wild card. They, they added the pieces they needed to, not only in the offseason, but at the trade deadline. Uh, you have two top five MVP candidates. Uh, you're starting pitching. I mean, you've got a good one, two, three. You added to your bullpen. You, the offense has been playing well all year. Um, yeah, I think you guys are, and I say you guys because of where you guys are based, but the, the Blue Jays have really, in my eyes, overperformed. This is what I think you need to get used to with Vladdy Jr. I think he is one of the best hitters in baseball. I know he's scuffling a little bit right now. I get it. I get it. It's tough. He's, he's still a baby. He's still a kid. Let's not forget how young he is and what he's doing. Um, and how high the expectations are. But I think this Toronto team uh, has a lot to look forward to. So, you know, when you talk about Vladdy and, and, you know, this full season that he's having here, it's the first real go-around at 162 at the major league level. And we all saw, of course, what he did in the offseason, dropping 40 pounds, reworking the body. And it's it's paid off so much uh, so far this year, Will. But, you know, what what is that grind like for, for a young player to be coming into a season where, you know, it's the first full 162? We hear from all, you know, pro, pro ball players that have been through it before. As uh, normal people, I mean, we can only kind of see it from afar, but what is it actually like on a day-to-day basis having to go through that much of a grind through those uh, five, six months? Yeah, it's repetitive. I'm not and it's and it is a grind. That's the best word. I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally. And for a guy like Vladdy, he seems so easygoing, a good clubhouse guy. So I don't know how much of the actual pressure he's putting on himself. And I think the team has added enough star power around him with Springer and Simeon and those guys uh, to help carry the load that maybe he doesn't feel the pressure to have to carry the team, even though offensively he's having one of, if not the best productive offensive seasons of any player in baseball right now. I know he's slowing down right now. He's, he's going to catch a second win and he's going to get hot and he's going to finish strong because his approach at the plate is so mature. And, and it's like, he's been in the league for 10, 15 years and he's only been here for, you know, two years. So, uh, I think he's going to be just fine. I really do. There's another thing with Vladdy you have to think about is every opposing pitcher looks at the lineup pregame. He sits down with his catcher and they circle Vladdy's name and say, we can't let him beat us because he can, he can hide and he can beat us by himself. So every pitcher is going to give Vladdy their absolute best because if they don't execute a pitch, he's going to hit it 480 feet. Uh, he certainly is. Uh, it's been, yeah, a little bit of a slow month when it comes to extra base hits this month, just three of them, but he's still hitting the ball hard. So you got to figure the, the power is going to return. Uh, around the corner talking to will middlebrooks blue jays without george springer d's day-to-day looks like with the day off today and then just the two game series against the nats and the day off on thursday that he they probably just rest him until the weekend but this is so the blue jays made the playoffs last year in a 60 game season so i i suppose you can say that they do have experience playing in these positions i <laughs> I, I would disagree uh with the expanded playoff format a, a season ago and how quick a sprint that was and how weird a season obviously George Springer does have that experience. I mean, on that 2013 team, what, what what is it 
What does it do to have that type of experience in the lineup? And now that he's not in the lineup, he's still in the in the dugout. What what does a a guy like that bring to a team trying to do things they've never done before? That's huge. And having a guy like that, uh, I can speak from my experience in 2013, having the David Ortiz, uh, Pedroia's, Ellsbury, Donnie Gomes, Mike Napoli. I mean, the list goes on and on of the guys, the veteran guys who've been in the postseason, you know, a handful of times in their career. And uh, I was there. I was my second year in the big leagues. I had no idea. I, I finished last place in my rookie year uh, in 2012. And then here we were in the World Series. So, Having that veteran leadership to help you keep a slow heartbeat when it's beating out of your chest in big situations, not only in the postseason, but in late games in September when they matter, uh, is going to play huge. And I'm, you know, I'm looking here at Toronto's uh, schedule. They have seven games versus New York left. They have 10 versus Baltimore, who has the worst Dude. record in the American League. There's a real opportunity here. And they play, ever since they got back to Toronto, they're 9-2 and two at home. They play really well, and they have a lot of games at home coming up. So th- I think they have a real opportunity to make a run at that second spot. Okay. Thank you for bringing up the schedule because I did want to get to this uh, because part of the reason why the Red Sox have uh, revived their season is because they swept the the O's, right? The, the O's will right. cure what ails you. So will the Washington <laughs> Nationals who have lost 12 of 13. They have three wins since the trade deadline. I was putting it out on Twitter trying to do these different permutations of what the Blue Jays have to do down the stretch to get to 90 wins, which might not be enough to make the playoffs. Anyways, give yourself a reasonable chance at least. And I, I threw out the idea of sweeping all 12 games against the Nats and O's, which is like slightly unreasonable. But are those two teams bad enough that like you go into those series thinking about sweeps? You have to. Those are the teams you have to beat because you're going to play the Rays. You don't know what you're, you don't know which New York Yankees team you're going to get because if Jameson Tyone's on the mound, he he's been shoving, so he's going to pitch well. Uh, what do you what are you going to get from their bullpen? Are they going to come in and blow games like they have been lately? Are they going to lock down like we've also seen? And then their 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 lineup's been you know hit, swinging the bat really well lately too. So you don't know what you're going to get. We know how good Tampa is. We know Boston had a great year until the last two two weeks and they shut down three weeks, uh, but they're turning around. So, yes, you, you don't know what you're going to get against those really good teams. You want to play 500 ball against those good teams. So Baltimore, Washington, these teams with awful records, you you absolutely have to think sweep, 100%. So, well, obviously, having played in the AL East before, you know how difficult it is uh, for pitchers in uh, this uh, division to face teams like the Yankees when they're at their peaks or the Red Sox. You know, we, you see the Blue Jays, the offense they have. And here in Toronto, we watched a guy in Alec Manoa who has really jumped off the page in just 11 starts. It's hard to believe it's only been 11 starts for him as a 23-year-old, but uh, he's been shining so far this year. He's been more than anyone ever could have expected. He's had some big games against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and uh, he's faced the Red Sox a couple of times as well, and has fared pretty good. I mean, when you watch him pitch, I mean, it's clear that he has a confidence and an air to him. And, and I wonder how much do you think that uh, is important to pitch in, in this division and just your overall thoughts on, on what you've seen from him so far? Yeah, you nailed it when you said he's pitched big games against good teams already. He, he's showing that you know, the moment's not too big for him. I think he has really good swing and miss stuff. Um, I mean, it, it, he's the fastest rookie. I could be wrong. Is he the fastest rookie for Toronto to reach 70 strikeouts? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Reading that? Yeah. Yeah, he's, the swinging stuff is there, all right? So at this point, it's, it's staying healthy because he's also – their adrenaline's there. He's uh, – get to a deeper into a big league season. The fatigue starts to set in a little bit because um, you're playing an extra month than you're used to playing in the minor leagues. Um, and his ability to work past the sixth inning is a big deal in this day and age. Guys, you don't see that. You know, his last start, he went six and two-thirds. 
um, you know, had, what, 11 strikeouts? Yep. You know, with Stripling hurt, with Matt struggling, uh, I mean, Ray's having a great year. Barrios was a great addition. I mean, he gives them, you know, that third starter, that really good starting pitcher to, to rely on, especially if you do get to the postseason. Because if you do get into a postseason series, if you get past a wild card game, you can't just have one pitcher. You can't just have two pitchers. You need that third arm. So he could be really huge for this team. What I, I have a tough time quantifying, and I'll just do it with my, my you know, doing the eye test thing, is, yes, he has swing and miss stuff, and the slider's very good, but it's, it's not, he doesn't throw 99, right, Will? I, I want to account right. some of his success to mound presence, to confidence, to, to something that cannot be quantified, because I saw the guy who does throw 100 and Nate Pearson not have as much success at the major league level, and... You know what? Maybe that's just guys have different progressions to the major leagues, and maybe he'll figure it out. But there is something to everybody you talk to about Manoa, who saw him in the minor leagues, who who's spoken to him. It talks about this presence that he has, and you can see it watching it on TV. The the mound presence that he has. How much is that worth? Or am I just making that up? No, you're not making that up. That that's a real thing. There's there's a reason. There like Kyle Hendricks with the Cubs pitches so well at 87. You know, he, he commands the strike zone. He has confidence in his stuff. And when you have confidence in your stuff, you're going to make better pitches. It, it, it's as simple as believing in your stuff. It really is. And it's something that gets looked past in all the, the analytics and the metrics. And there's no measurement for that. But confidence is the biggest attribute for a baseball player, regardless of what side of the ball you're on, if you're pitching, hitting, whatever it may be. And he's got it. And he can pitch. And like you said, he doesn't throw 100. But so many kids that are young, 22, 23 years old, if you throw 100, you don't learn how to locate until you lose your velocity. He doesn't have to worry about that. He, ha- he has had to learn how to locate his pitches and execute pitches because he can't just blow your doors off. Mm-hmm. So that makes him overall a better pitcher. Yeah, it uh, helps to be 6'6 as well. I think I would have a lot more confidence in my day-to-day if I was 6'6". Six six. That's, that's just one man's opinion. Uh, I will say him wearing number six looks weird to me. Does it? <laughs> yeah. big, it's like a, it's like a big defensive lineman and a single digit number. It just yeah. doesn't look right. No, it's true. And especially <laughs> when you think about the last guy to wear it, Marcus Stroman, there was a slight uh, right. discrepancy in, uh, in stature between change, the two. They had to change the uh, sizing on the jersey. Yeah, they didn't just like <laughs> let them use Stroman, switch out the nameplate. <laughs> no, it's a great point. <laughs> well, uh, great stuff, man. Thanks for doing this. Oh, of course. I'll uh, talk to you guys soon. Sounds good. Will Middlebrooks, 2013 World Series champion, uh, working for CBS HQ as their baseball analyst and uh, host the Wake and Rake podcast. Yeah. Um, listen, I was right. It's one of the many things I've been right on. It's calling for Alec Manoa. Maybe not right out of the gate. Maybe not breaking camp with this team, but just some guys have it, man. Yeah. And I mean, Semyon Richardson kind of put it, he put up similar numbers in spring and at the same location. I think they piggybacked each other in that Yankee start at uh, Steinbrenner Field in Tampa. But they, it just felt like this this was a guy who wouldn't allow the moment to be too big. It helps that he's a college pitcher and dominated at West Virginia. But he has emerged as this guy that you could imagine, honestly, if it's not today, being the best pitcher on a staff that's good enough to make the playoffs. And it might already be. Like, this guy is a potential ace in waiting. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's so funny thinking back to spring training now. And we always say, you know, take spring training and September numbers with a grain of salt. Yeah. And you go back to Don Eden, the start of spring. What were the biggest storylines? Wow, Robbie Ray looks like a different guy. Yep. It's worked out. Yep. Steven Matz? <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes. Worked out. 
Alec Manoa striking out a ton of Yankees and not giving up any runs. That's worked out. Kirby Yates is going to be an incredible addition <laughs> to the back end of this bullpen. Yeah. Well, the other one was Vladdy. I was going to oh, say yeah. Vladdy having a great yeah. spring. You're like, oh, maybe the weight, lace, uh, weight loss has changed things. Uh, so it's funny that we always uh, try to crap on uh, spring training stuff. And, and it you know definitely played out uh, in a lot of senses for the Blue Jays. But I, I think, you know, as I said, the the expectations for me for Manoa coming into the season were, I think at some point he was going to pitch innings, probably out of the bullpen. And uh, he ends up coming up as a starter. But I don't think anyone, even the biggest Alec Manoa supporters, would have ever expected. Don't speak for me. These numbers, you were expecting a, a sub three uh, ERA. Like, I think the goalposts, I think, have changed, honestly, for his potential. Because when he was drafted, it was, this guy's uh, going to be a strong, you know, guy that can give you lots of innings. He's going to be a mid-rotation starter because he doesn't throw 99. And now you see it and you go doesn't need to throw 99. Like, he hit 97 in the start against yeah. the Angels. But that's few out. and far between, right? Like, that was the end of that he start. he doesn't need it, right? I think mm-hmm. that's that's the biggest thing. And he, he was maxing out because he knew it was the, uh, the final uh, inning for him. But I think I'm starting to wonder, like, is there more there? Not even from a velocity standpoint, but if he's this good now and understands that there's more things that he has to work on, I mean, it feels like the sky's the limit. Well, and I think the key for me, too, is who he's doing it against. I mean, steps into the major leagues of baseball at Yankee Stadium against the Yankees, who were not the Yankees of today. It was actually, <laughs> we talked to David Cohn before that started, and he said, you know what, probably not the worst idea in the world to face the Yankees right now, who are super right-handed heavy at the time and were uh, not exactly the 27 Yankees in regards to offense. But he, that being said, it's the Mecca, or next door to what used to be the Mecca, it's yeah, yeah, it's the Yankee it's the Yankees looking at that uniform in that stadium to do what he did there to have that start against the Red Sox. He's doing it in the highest leverage situations for a team that pushed a bunch of chips into the middle of the table at the trade deadline. He's had one rough start. That was the Orioles one where he got booted and ended up serving the suspension. Other than that, there has not been a bump in the road for this dude. It's it's hard not to dream on what he could be over the course of, of 30 starts in a season. Yeah, and you were talking with Will about, you know, things that you can't quantify in the confidence and the air that he has on the mound. And I also wonder, I mean, with him coming up in this season where there were real expectations for the team, they're trying to compete, pitching in these big games. I mean, that's just experience that you can take for the rest of your career. And you look at, you know, guys that come up with the Orioles or like the Marlins. Yeah. Their first crack is just, hey, come up here and no do pressure. well and we'll see how it goes. But he's coming up here with real expectation and a need for him to pitch well. And you just have to think, you know, maybe in a different situation where the Blue Jays, maybe if he came up in, you know, let's say 2019, right, where there was no expectations. It was just we're letting the young guys play. You know, maybe he would have still been the same guy heading into this season. Um, but uh, I just think, you know, the experience that he's picked up this year, just so massive and, and we really can't quantify it, um, just how well he's pitched this year and, and what that could mean for him moving forward yeah in two starts against the red sox this season he's gone 11 innings giving up three earned runs and uh, striking out nine so that's that's called getting it done and the red sox uh, are no slouch especially offensively uh let's take a break and when we come back a couple of uh, former blue jays jump back into the headlines i mean there were the sub headlines i would say because one of them's not even pitching in the major leagues right now in Aaron Sanchez. But Drew Hutchison is going to face wow. his former team this weekend. 
Uh, when the Detroit Tigers come to uh, Rogers Center, maybe we'll touch on uh, Aaron Sanchez and Drew Hutchison and maybe some parallels between Sanchez and Pearson next. It is Baseball Central, Ben Ennis, Rob Wong, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Baseball Central, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Rob Wong, final segment here before we get to writer's block. Um, is it getting ratioed if your tweet has 20 replies, four retweets, and 47 likes? Is that hmm. ratioed? Yeah, I think that's probably ratio, but it could be for the uh, the right reasons because you could be like, hey, uh, give me some recommendations for food, and mm. you're getting ratioed. Like, does that really count? Because ratio generally has like a negative connotation. So That's right. It just depends. That's a good point. Uh, I, th- I think it's the wrong reasons for this tweet, which uh, I sent out before the start of this show. Um, Blue Jays' remaining schedule permutations. If the Jays go 12-0 and against the Nats and O's, parenthetically, possible if not likely, which could mean two things. Um, but I think people took it as in, I was saying it's likely. I was saying it's maybe not likely, but possible. They need to go 15-18 and 18 versus the rest to get to 90 wins. So that 12-0 and 0 number. Getting people's ire, which generally I get. But the O's are so bad. Yeah. And the Nats are so bad that, okay, it's not an abject disaster not to sweep those series. It's an abject disaster not to win them. It truly is. That sweeping them feels like a realistic possibility. It's baseball, I know. Like, Mm. it's... you don't win money gambling on baseball. The best team in baseball loses to the worst team in baseball. Occasionally. At this time of year, with Mercury in retrograde, I just, like, 12-0, and 0, okay, is it 90% likely? But I would say it's it's something that if you're the Blue Jays, you're obviously striving for. But you think about the possibility of that because they've really done a... What, have they lost once to the O's this season? The O's are impossibly bad. The Nationals are impossibly bad. And I know people are going to replay this tape when the Blue Jays split this two-game set against the Nats. But I, I really do feel like 12-0 and 0 is the goal here with those. I, I would say so as well. And I think all you have to do is look at the most recent homestand at Rogers Center. And yep. the Blue Jays go 9-2. and two, But they are two swings away from going 11 and 0. So mm-hmm. like you just use that as an example. It's like, okay, you hope for 11 and 0, that would have been great and it almost happened, but you know, realistically they went 9 and 2. And I think you look at the same way with these 12 games where you go, you'd love to go 12 and 0, but you know, if you go 10 and 2, you go 9 and 3, is it the worst thing? No. Um you just can't go 6 and 6 or um you know, uh 8 and 4. Like it's got to be a massive massive number against these teams and like you said i don't think people realize how bad these teams are yeah because you said i mean even the worst teams beat the good teams so many times uh in a season um but these teams are just on a different level right now like they're historically bad um you know post-trade deadline for the nationals of course and the orioles have been pretty much terrible uh, all season long they've uh, helped the red sox kind of right the ship after that series uh, at fenway park this weekend so 12 and no has to be the goal and you know just hope realistically it's probably more like nine and three or, or ten and two, and uh, I think you're happy with that. But splitting the series in Washington, I would say here, it's it would be rough. It, it would not be great. Um, and at the end of the day, it also matters how the context is. I mean, if 
you know, the Blue Jays lose on some incredibly, you know, unfortunate play. It's like, oh, well, what can you do? But if it's, you know, what we saw the other nights where Brad Hand walks in the winning run or something, that would make it even more uh, awful to lose that game. But yeah, Orioles, Tigers, Nationals, yeah. these these are the games you got to just destroy. Well, them. it's it's the reason I'm most bullish on the Blue Jays making the playoffs. Blue Jays are not a perfect team. They're a flawed team. And the one flaw is pretty big one. Mm-hmm. Like bullpen, that's like almost half the game in pitching. <laughs> like the rotation's great, but you, most games you have at least three innings to fill, if not four, with an area of severe weakness. That's a big flaw. But here's the deal. They have a very, very soft schedule remaining. They have the most games against the Orioles and against the Nationals than any team in the American League East. And it's the reason that you can be most bullish on, if if you don't believe that the Blue Jays are the best team in the American League East, which is certainly debatable on paper, but the best reason to believe that they are going to make the playoffs would be that schedule upcoming, including the six against the Tigers, who are not a team that I would say you're expected to sweep in the six games or the twins who have righted the ship a little bit when they were one of the worst teams in all of baseball. You got seven against them. Anyways, before we go, I do want to touch on a couple of blue Jays, former blue Jays that are, uh, that jumped across my Twitter timeline in the last couple of days, Aaron Sanchez released by the San Francisco giants. He was working his way back from another injury and, I, th- I I don't think his career is over because his his numbers were not abominable this season and apparently was throwing 98 in some some showcase sessions for the Giants before the season. So if somebody believes he can recapture that, maybe he catches on somewhere else. Maybe it's back here in Toronto, although he left under not great circumstances with this front office. And Drew Hutchison, a guy who started opening day <laughs> in the Blue Jays' return to the postseason for the first time in more than 20 years in 2015, went six strong against the New York Yankees, made 28 starts in 2015, out of the major leagues for two years, returned for the first time for the Tigers, and stunk out the joint. Stinks for him. Uh, but he's going to get another shot. He's going to start against the Blue Jays. I think on Sunday he's going to start for the Tigers in that three-game series against the Jays. Well, if you're a pessimistic Blue Jays fan, you just feel dread about that game. Oh, you, yeah. You can hear no, that's it right a now, Leafs right? thing, isn't That's a Leafs uh, thing. I think it's where... a Toronto sports okay. thing in general, right? Because everybody's just like, yeah, Drew Hutchinson's making the start. Of course, he's going to go six scoreless, and the Blue Jays are going to be hitting missiles at infielders, and it's just not going to work out. But, uh, I mean, good for him to get back uh, to the major leagues. But, uh, yeah, I, I think if you asked a lot of people, hey, do you remember any of the Drew Hutchinson starts from 2015? I'm not sure many people would. I mean, he had a five five seventy ERA, yeah. Um, so they were definitely forgettable. But uh, yeah, twenty eight starts in 2015. I think if you ask the over under to most people, um, I'm not sure how many people. If you said it at like ten and a half, how many people would take over? But twenty, they let him take the ball twenty eight times yep. in 2015 in a season where they uh, just you know crushed it in the second half of the season. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a reason they needed to go out and get David Price. So yeah, he went the six strong, uh, giving up one earned run against the Yankees in start number one gave up seven earned runs in four and a third against the Orioles in start number two of uh, the 2015 season Sanchez though is an interesting one especially when we have this conversation about Nate Pearson and I'm going to continue it uh, in the next couple hours on writer's block about I mean it used to be and it's probably still is that you exhaust every single opportunity to turn a young pitcher into a starter you don't put them in a relief role until you absolutely have to you've exhausted every single opportunity for them as a starter but as starters go less and less deep when five innings is 
you're okay. You're like, that's not the worst thing in the world. If you can throw gas, if you can strike people out, if you can be one of the elite guys at the back end of the bullpen, I wonder if the perception of value is changing there. Yeah, all I'll say about Aaron Sanchez is what could have been. He yeah, was man. supposed to be the guy, him and Marcus. So. Yeah, and he was the guy for one year, led the American League in ERA. Yep. In 2016, I remember Miggy Cabrera talking about him being the best pitcher in baseball. <laughs> man, that feels like 100 years ago. This was fun, man. It's good to yep, see Al. your face. I know. Want we'll to do it again? Yes, we will. Keep uh, growing that mustache. All right. Uh, day off for the Blue Jays tomorrow, but I'll be back with Shai DeViti with a, another edition of Baseball Central. Coming up next, Writer's Block with myself and Richard Deitch. This has been Baseball Central. Ben Ennis, Rob Wong, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.